What's up? <laughs> Y'all good? We good? We good? You want to get out of here? <laughs> Show me some love. All right. Hey, hey, welcome to week four of our, our five-week series of conversation called Money Matters. Money what? Money matters, right? And, and it really does. It, it, it matters an, an awful lot. And do you know what or who else matters? You. You matter. If you've been here for a while, you, you know what's coming, right? Let's do our, one of my favorite repeat backs. Let, let's do this. I, I, matter I matter to God, to God. and that's all, that's all. that matters, matters to, me. to me. Let's take it up a few amps there. I matter, I matter. to God. To God. I, matter I matter to God, to God. and that's all, that's all. that matters, that matters. To, me. to me. And then look three people in the eye and tell them, you matter to God. Okay, let me read uh, three passages of Scripture, and, and then we're going we're, we're gonna to pray into our conversation. And, and talk about taking something for granted. I mean, we, you and I, messed up, sinful, finite, falling, frail, you and I are about to read words that were written thousands of years ago, breathed by the breath of the one true God. And then... We, you and I, frail, sinful, you and I, are about to enter into the very presence of the God who breathes out stars and holds oceans in his hands. Talk about taking something for granted. I, I, I don't know, maybe we should approach both more, maybe we should approach both with more attention, with more awe, right, with more appreciation. Jesus said in Matthew 7, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. It's built on bedrock. What a promise from Jesus. And then Jesus said in John 13, Verse 17, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I understand, knowing without doing is pointless. Knowing without doing is pointless. Get it? Good. And then James writes, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Thinking that listening and knowing is good enough. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whatever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Father, God, we, we humbly... Oh my goodness, we should be humble right now. 
We humbly come into your presence. God, you are holy, you are just, you are true. God, you know the thoughts and intentions of every heart and mind in this room. God, you know the good about us, you know the bad about us, you know the ugly about us, and yet you still sent your son to die for us. God, we don't get you, we don't understand you, but we cannot comprehend your grace that surrounds us, Lord, your love that pursues us. And God, help us, Lord, to, to lean in today and to acknowledge, God, that, that we are but creatures, Lord, you are the creator, and that you are God and that, that we are not. And God, help us to die to ourselves so that we might hear your word and live it out. God, help me to to honor you today with these words uh, that I speak for you. Uh, God, forgive me for my, my sins, for there are many. But God, I take confidence that you will help me today to speak well for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, again, this week is week four of our series, Money Matters. And it's been a, an incredible series so far. I, I wasn't expecting it to, to be so fun. And, and, and we are unpacking this, this formula right, that we've been talking about for four weeks. Attitude plus principles plus practices equals freed up financially. And remember, to be freed up financially means to no longer be a slave to money. It means no longer being a slave to money worries, money stress, money desires, money worship, money lenders. It means no longer being a slave to the myth of more, thinking that having more will give us life, but rather finding contentment and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It means no longer being a slave to that ever-elusive and ever-changing status symbols of this world, but rather finding our ultimate identity in being a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but, but being a child of the sovereign king of the universe seems to be a serious upgrade in our status. And I don't think it could get any more upgradier than that. Amen? It's a good word. Now, 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 in week one, we unpacked the first variable in our equation, attitude, which led to, to us making five declarations that, for most of us, our new way of thinking or of looking at money. And just repeat after me these declarations. Money is not the answer. I am rich. None of my money belongs to me. It's okay to enjoy money. Money can lead to real life. And we do good things with it. In the past two weeks, we've been unpacking the four foundational principles that must be driven down deep into the bedrock of our hearts and minds if we're to be freed up financially. Gratitude, contentment, trust, humility. Maple Grove, those those foundational principles are, are about us or about you and I being grateful that God is both our provider and our redeemer. It's about you and I finding contentment in our relationship with Christ and not in this pursuit of, of more. It's about you and I trusting that God's got us and entrusting in what God tells us about money. And it's about you and I humbling ourselves like Jesus and finding our status in him. Finding our status in, in being like him and emptying ourselves like he did and being a servant like he was. Get it? 
Good. And if you miss any of these messages, I would encourage you, there's several ways you can catch up, right? You, you can check them out on our website. You can go on iTunes and uh, download the podcast. You can go on Google Play. You can go on Facebook. Every week we do Facebook Live. You can watch the video of the, a lot of the worship and the message. But, you know, I, I, I would encourage you. We've been talking about some really important stuff that really matters to God. Now, this morning we're going to be un- unpacking the next variable, and that's practices, the necessary actions. But before we do that, there, there's something else in that formula that I think is worth mentioning. It, it's this guy right here. It's the plus sign. Yo, how you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? And, and think about it. Think about the sign that we use for addition and what it communicates. Now, the plus sign, it's an operation. It, it's a function. It's something that acts upon other things. You see, attitude and the foundational principles of gratitude, commitment, trust, humility can and must be acted upon. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I understand the four practices that we'll begin unpacking this week are rooted in the Word of God, and we must do them, not merely listen to them. Only then will we be blessed. Only then will we be building our financial lives on the bedrock of God's truths. Only then will we be doing money the way God wants. Yeah, the plus sign, it's important. It's an important part of the formula. I mean, think about it. When Jesus walked this planet, he often used the plus sign. And what I mean by that is that Jesus often required people to take action, to do something, to act on his words in order to be healed, to be blessed, right? There's a blind guy in John chapter 9 who Jesus spit on mud, right? You know, made a little mud pie, and that guy heard that, like, what the heck did he just do, all right? And put it on Jesus, put it on the guy's eyes and say, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. He did what Jesus said, and then he could see. We, we meet some lepers in Luke, Luke chapter 17, and, and Jesus said, hey, I'm, I want to heal you, but you need to do something. You need to start going and show yourself to the priest. They did, and they, were, and they were healed. In like matter, we also must do, we must act on the practices in God's word about money in order to be freed up, in order to be healed, in order to see past our present blindness. Get it? Good. And, and, and let me be up front. I'm pretty excited about today's message. I usually am every Sunday. Um, uh, but to be honest, I wasn't excited at first this week. Two reasons. Number one, I mean, it just seemed like unexciting practical stuff, right? Like, like this doesn't seem spiritual or exciting or let's charge a hill for stuff, right? And, and number two, because I've not always been that great with the three practices we're unpacking today. Now, the one we're, we're talking about next week, I, I'm, I'm pretty solid on. But the first three, I, I, I've not always done so good. And truth is, I, I still need some work on them in my life. In fact, I went up Thursday and I was talking to Laurie. I said, my head is just spinning. All this stuff I'm trying to cram into my head, out my mind, and onto paper. And I said, what's making this really hard is that I'm, I'm trying to talk and digest things that I'm really not done that well with. And she said wisely, that's probably why you're having to talk about it. <laughs> you're probably right. And so today we're going to be talking about three of the four practices that we must take action on if we're to be freed up financially. Debt-free living, 
planned spending, and intentional saving. And, and listen, there have been countless books written, right? Seminars given by men and women much smarter and more qualified than me. So my goal today is simply to introduce you to or remind you of these practices. And, and let me tell you, with the time we have left, we're going to only be scratching the surface, right? I mean, people go to seminars and write books. We don't have that kind of time. However, as with any conversation that happens on a Sunday, listen. The most important thing is not what happens when we listen in here. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh But rather, the most important thing is what you and I do with that Holy Spirit conviction when we walk out the doors and go out and live out there. Amen? Amen. Get it? Good. Now, you'll notice your outline. I had a, it's a big one today, full sheet of paper folded in half, right? And because and, 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 there's so much stuff I wanted to make sure that you had that you could go over and look at. Like these resources. Here's some good resources that you can check out. Um, you know, uh, there's a book written by, I don't know if we have that slide or not, it's in your notes. There's a book written by um, Gary Johnson called Too Much. It's in your notes. Um, there's a book written by a guy named Barry Cameron, The ABCs of Financial Freedom. You can go to crown.org, a great uh, ministry about finances. been around for years and years. It's run by Larry Burkett. You can go goodsensemovement.org. You can go on rightnowmedia.org. Everybody that attends Maple Grove, all, if, all they have to do is email Hannah. She'll, she'll give you your login that you can be a part of Right Now Media. It has thousands of videos, thousands of teachers, things for kids and everything. You name it, it's there. Well, well they have some incredible teaching on finances, right? And, 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 and on January the 12th and 13th, we're doing a seminar on a Friday night and a Saturday right, about getting freed up financially, right? You can see the cost there. The book's pretty expensive. It's like 21 bucks, 22 bucks. But uh, there's scholarships available. And, and, and here's the deal. What, what this is going to do, it's going to launch a, a good sense financial team at Maple Grove. It's not about Maple Grove's budget, but it's going to launch this team of people to come alongside other people and say, hey, we want to help you. If you don't know how to do this, we want to help you to be freed up financially. Mark Murray, uh, one of our elders, is heading up this team. His email is markmurray1986, markmurray1986 at yahoo.com. I know it, it, Bob Glass in here, he, he wants to be part of that team. Andrew back there uh, has mentioned that he wants to be a part of that team. Just see Mark. You know, I want a team of people because we want to come alongside people in this area that is so critical in their lives, Right? I mean, money just messes people up, right? It leads to divorce. It, it leads to stress and all kinds of things. And money is so very important to God. It matters to God. It matters to the spread of the gospel. It, it matters to the expansion of his kingdom. It matters to the health of his church and what his church can do. That's why God talks about money over 2,000 times in the Bible. All right, money matters. It does. It matters to you, it matters to your family. It matters to God, and it matters to the world that God wants to bless for you, through you. Okay, practice number one, debt-free living. Yeah, I talk fast. I got to. Believe me when I tell you, we'd be here a lot longer if I didn't. Love you guys. You guys ready? Everybody ready? That's, that's good stuff, man. Anybody know what debt is? Anybody ever been in debt? Anybody found debt, you know what, the most freeing and fun place I've ever been when, was when I was in debt, right? Probably not. 
Check out what Mary Hunt wrote in her book, Debt Proof Living. Just for fun, I looked up the word debt in my trusty Roger Thetharsis. Thetharis. Pterodactyl. If you're visiting, I make no qualms. I'm a communicator, which is nuts, who has a hard time pronouncing big words. And I cite even like, like that, that Roger, I thought it was Roguettes, right? <laughs> and I went on the dictionary.com, Roger. And I even got it phonetically, right? So I got that one right, and I mixed the other one up, all right? Hey, if you come to my this is where you're going to get. I'm just telling you. I, 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 there's, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. Yeah, I'm 57 years old, and I, I don't talk so well all the time. But listen, lean in. Here's, here's what she did. Here's what she said and found. De- here's what it means. Debt, obligation, encumbrance in the red, pound of flesh, arrears, inability to pay, bilk, bound, beholden, up to one's ears, over one's head, mortgage to the hilt, in the poverty trap, unable to keep the wolf from the door, hard up, beaten down, financially embarrassed, strapped, stripped, fleeced, and busted. She continues, that's not the way God wants us to live. And no, that, that's not a, it's not a freeing or fun place to be. However, we live in a country that's drowning in debt, I mean, it is Debtville, USA. Friday morning, I, I went onto the website, usdebtclock.org, right? It, that is nuts, man. It, it makes your head spin. And, and then I went onto nationaldebtclock.org, right? Now, the next slide there. I don't, do we have the other slide? The next one? Is there another one before that? Yeah. And, 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 and I, I wrote down what our national debt was. Like, that's like a lot of money, right? <laughs> you know? And, and, and I wrote that down. And then 10 minutes later, right, I did it again, and we went into debt over $4 million in 10 minutes. I mean, that, that's what's happening in our country. Our national debt is approximately $20.6 trillion. If you took $1 bills and put them end to end, it would wrap around the earth 80,080 times, right? Woo! Our federal government income is $3.35 trillion. Spending is, you see a problem here, $4.03 Two, three trillion. Our budget deficit is 67 billion a year. Our, our yearly interest payment is 275 billion. U.S. debt held by other countries is 6.4 trillion. The mortgage debt among Americans is 14.8 trillion. Trillion. Student loan debt 1.5 trillion. Credit card debt 1 trillion 19 billion. U.S. total debt governing everybody together is $68.1 trillion, which is $208,709 per citizen. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> and that's some serious debt. And, and some of us may live in our own version of that. And, and, and now, I want you to imagine that you're completely out of debt. That you moved out of debtville into freed upville. <laughs> like, you don't owe anything to anybody. You ever dreamed about that? Have you ever thought about what it would be like to know that it's, this Friday is payday and there's not a single place that that money is obligated to go? Man, it feels kind of good just to think about it. Why? Because we're not created to live in the bondage of debt. Again, think about the possibilities if you're completely and totally debt-free. Not nothing for a moment what we as a church could do if everyone in our church was debt-free. Like maybe next Sunday, a missionary comes in here. His plane was delayed, and he just came visiting us. He's, he, he's going back to India, and, and he's hoping to raise $100,000 to, 
within the next few years to build an orphanage and a hospital in an area that so desperately needs it. And so you hear that and you gather up the leaders and you talk about it. And then we make an announcement at the end of the service about this great need. And we take up an offering and we raise every single dollar because we can, because every single one of us is debt free. Would that be cool or what? I mean, just think about the good you could do in the name of Jesus if you're completely debt free. I mean, you could buy groceries for a single mom. You could help a struggling widow with her utilities. You could rescue somebody from sex trafficking. You could take a short-term mission trip every year, or you could help other people go on mission trips. You could adopt a child that wouldn't even have a home if you didn't do that. You could buy clothing and food and, and school supplies for children at risk. You could help someone pay their rent for a few months because they lost their job due to no fault of their own. They just happened to get sick. You could help plant a church in an area to tell people about Jesus who don't even know who he is. You could help your church fund a building expansion, uh, pay for a needed staff member. You, you could buy, you, you could buy, and we have it in, in, in our notes, not, not our notes, in our insert, that, that we're going to take a special offering on Christmas Eve for $2,000. We're going to provide a water purification in Nepal, you'll hear more about it. So exciting that people right now in Nepal, there's five crazy young people over there doing this, indigenous people in Nepal. But right now, someplace doesn't have clean water, and because of our Christmas Eve offering, they will. But guess what? If you were debt free, you could say, you know what? I'm going to get one of those for myself. I'm going to spare two grand, and I'm going to give some village and some mom clean water for the rest of their lives. But unfortunately, most of those things probably will not happen, not, at least not as often, because too many people, too many God's people are in debt. Here's a few questions about debt. How do we get in debt? Now, before we get into some of the reasons why people get into debt, let me clarify something from the get-go. Uh, understand, there are times when, when debt is caused by circumstances beyond our control. When a husband or wife... Uh, uh, are left in a financial crisis because of divorce, when a family has physical illness that mounts up in huge hospital bills, when somebody loses their job because of circumstances beyond their control. Yes, sometimes that can be caused by things that you and I cannot control. You know, I've been there and I got the T-shirt. But there's other times when that's caused by things within our control. And I've been there too. And I got maybe two of those T-shirts. In his book, Too Much, Living with Less in a Land of More, Gary Johnson talks about the wrong thinking that leads to debt by using an acronym of the word debt. He says D stands for desires. In 1989, the, I got I to just do this real quick here. Hang on. In 1989, some of you were alive in 1989. Some of you have been alive for a long time in 1989, like me. Hold on, I gotta take my glasses off. Goodness. And I gotta make sure I spell the word right. I thought I had it saved, but I done, didn't have it saved. And this is so smooth to me right now. All right, hopefully this works. Not working so far. I can skip the ad now. That's not the right song. 
going to get there. I don't care. Stop the music. No, you got to hear it. It's so good, though. Oh, I will when it gets there. I get some music with me. All right. I want more. No, it's not that. That's why. That's why I did it. I did the wrong words. <laughs> Here it goes. I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. (laughs) I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And that's the mindset of too many Americans. We have no self-control, and that's why debt is so high. We want it all, we want it all, we want it all, we want it now, even if we can't afford it now. So we spend money on things we probably don't even need with, with little pieces of plastic, right? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Some of us need a Dora in our lives, right? Swiper, no swiping, right? You know, swiper, no, if you don't have kids, go look it up on the internet, right? Okay, swiper, no swiping. The E stands for entitlement. Understand when President Lyndon Johnson in the 1960s introduced a great society, not only did he give birth to entitlement programs, he gave birth to entitlement thinking. In other words, we think that we're entitled to the best, that we're entitled to more, that we're entitled to living out the American dream. And listen, when we think that we're entitled to the good life, when we think that we're entitled to go out to eat, we're entitled to go to the movies, we're entitled to go on vacation, we're entitled to having lots of presents under the tree, it comes oftentimes with a great cost because when when you finance the American dream with debt, that dream quickly becomes a nightmare. Get it? Good. Yes, entitlement thinking fuels debt. A B stands for bigger and better. We're in debt because we want bigger and we want better. You see, we have to have the latest technology. Why? Because ours isn't fast enough and it doesn't do enough. And we do the same with the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, and the homes we live in. Listen, there's always something bigger and better. And to have it, we borrow even bigger bucks. The T stands for taught. I want to quote Gary Johnson here. All too often we do what we've been taught. It may be that we had parents who struggled with that. We had relatives and friends who lived appearing to have it together, but beneath the surface, they frantically tried to keep it together. And when the government cannot pass a balanced budget amendment or operate within its budget, why should we? When we consider the example set by our debt-ridden government, along with that of our family and friends, it's no wonder that we think a debt-driven life is normal. But it's not normal. Far too often, we spend money on things we don't need, and that leads to debt. Time Magazine says that every, for every $1,000 we make, we spend $1,300. So there's a problem. Barry Cameron, who wrote the book ABCs of Financial Freedom, says the word debt stands for this, dumb excuses for buying things, right? Dumb excuses for buying things. Gary Detweller, author of the Ultimate Credit Handbook, says this, credit card companies have been very successful at making us think credit cards are just another way to pay for things. But you used to think as credit cards as plastic tools for taking out loans. Would you go to the bank and borrow $40 for dinner? That's what we do. There's not a problem with that as long as you pay it off, right? Because you can make them work for you. About a year ago, I got one of these suckers right here. I think we got a picture of it. Do we not have a picture of it? 
Oh, she must have missed it. I got a picture of my double cashback card. You know, I, I, I'll put, and I try to pay my taxes on it. They won't let you do it. But anything I can put on that sucker, I'm going to put on it. And I get 1% cashback when I buy it and one when I pay it off. And I pay it off every month. And that's why I, I swipe that thing all the time. And I'm building up some serious money. So you can make it work for you, right? If you pay it off, you can get mileage for traveling. Now, what does the Bible say about that? A few things. It's not a sin to borrow money, number one. The Bible warns about that, but it never says you're out of God's commands when you borrow. Now, we can debate the wisdom of incurring debt under certain circumstances, but it's never a black and white issue. As we said earlier, there are times when you can't help but get into debt. Number two, debt makes us someone's slave. The rich are over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. See, debt takes away some of your freedom because that tells you where some of your money must go. You may not want it to go there. You may want it to go somewhere else, help somebody out, but you can't because you're a slave to debt. Three, it's a sin to borrow and not repay. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. And I believe they give generously because they're not in debt. Now, before going into debt assumes the future, James says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It assumes the future. I, I can't afford that item right now, but I assume that I can make the $650 car payment for the next 72 months. Well, I don't have the cash right now, but they say three years is the same as cash, so I'll get it now. You know, I did one of those suckers one time. I was paying it every month. Have you heard of accrued interest? Like at 25.6, I was three days late on my last $60 payment. And, I ha- and next thing you know, I thought, hey, this thing's paid off. Oh, you owe $350. It's like, are you kidding me, right? Number five, going to debt may be denying God an opportunity to provide for you. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. You see, sometimes borrowing is just an easy way out of a situation that otherwise would force us to grow in our faith. Does that make sense, right? I'm not going to trust God or wait for God. I'll just swipe and, and ignore God. And here's one. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but I definitely would. Being debt-free does not make you a better, superior Jesus follower, right? Because there are no better or superior Jesus followers, right? And I, I can be honest. I've sensed this sometimes where some debt-free people wear that like a badge of honor. Oh, I'm debt-free and you're not? Oh, okay. Well, someday you'll reach my level, right? That's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. It doesn't make you better. It makes you better able to be used by God, you know, and do things like that. Um, now, what, how do we get out of debt? Number one, make an irrevocable commitment to God and to yourself. And, and if you're married, you get, should do this together, right? Or it'll be trouble that you're going to get out of debt. And maybe tell somebody else, too, so that when they see you driving up in a new car two weeks later, they're like, no, I thought you were getting out of debt. Why do you got this new car? Number two, do not take on any more debt. If you do not have money for dinner out, for a movie, for vacation, for Christmas presents, right, don't put them on a card. This is a very timely message series, isn't it? 25% of people have, still haven't paid off their debt from Christmas 2016. Number three, put God first in your giving. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Are you doing that? Does God feel honored by your wealth and your giving? Honor God with your wealth, the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
If you wait till you get out of debt to start giving to God what he wants back from you, guess what? You're never going to give back to God. Number four, develop or adjust your spending plan. We're talking about a spending plan briefly in just a minute. If you don't have one, you need one. If you have one, but you're in massive debt beyond a mortgage and car payment, it's probably not working that good, right? So you may want to adjust it. Number five, snowball your current debt. List all your debt from smallest to largest. Pay off the smallest. When the smallest is paid off, throw a party, cheap party, <laughs> and, and then apply the amount you're paying to the next smallest debt, and then rinse and repeat, right? Just keep doing that. And that's the first practice right there, you know, um, to being freed up financially, debt-free living. And can you see how those four principles are foundational, right, to making this happen? Contentment, trust, humility, gratitude. Second principle, it, it's planned spending. And, you know, the Bible is pro-planning. Uh, Joseph planned for seven years in the time of plenty for the seven years of famine. Nehemiah planned for building the walls around um, Jerusalem. David planned for building of the temple. Um, I'm going to read uh, just one of the passages I have. You have some in your notes. I just don't have time to read them. Let me just read this, Luke chapter 14. Um, Jesus said, don't begin until you count the cost for who can begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Uh, Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone will laugh at you. Then it will say there's the person who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. And, And the lesson is that we need to count the costs. If you're remodeling your kitchen, if you're building a home, if you're preparing for college, if you're buying a car, you need to count the costs. And the, the way you do that is by developing a budget. Now, do you have a budget? Now, a budget is simply planned spending. If you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went, right? You ever wonder where it went? Like, where, where, did, where did it go? I thought I saw it here. In his book, too much. Gary Johnson writes, there's a problem. Not everybody wants to live by a budget. Peter Dunn, a financial planner, writes, people hate budgeting. They just do. It's kind of like people hate exercising. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't do both. It's no surprise that those people who hate exercising and budgeting the most are often the people who need to exercise and budget the most. Increasing numbers of people do not live by a budget because they do not have a budget. A family budget identifies income and expenses, enabling a family to live within its income. He continues, when a family or individual does not have a a spending plan, people take financial risk. An old familiar saying reflects this reality, to fail to plan is to fail to, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. Proverbs 27, God tells us, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Now, the Bible was written in agricultural age, Therefore, wealth was held in livestock and crops. So the phrase, know the condition of your flocks, give careful attention to your herds, would in comparison mean to us in our day that we know the condition of our bank accounts. We know the condition of our assets. We know the condition of our property. We know the condition of of our debts. We we have to know those things. And the way to know those things is by having a, a spending plan. And here are the basic steps for developing a, a spending plan, right? I, I showed you resources. There's a, we're having a seminar coming up, but just to get you going on it. And, and, and I put some sheets on the back table uh, about forming a spending plan. You know, real simple, you list all your income, right, all sources. You list all your expenses, 
And this sheet here has like what should be the approximate percentages you should be spending on your house, on, on clothes, on things like that. And then once you have your income expenses, you calculate the difference and make adjustments. Like, whoa, this isn't good. You know, I, I have to cut back here. I have to do this. And step four is you use your budget, you work your budget, you track your budget, okay? Like I said, I, I got one of these back here. You can go on Right Now Media and you can get you know, whole studies on, on this, right? Okay, but you got to have a budget. Next, practices intentional savings. The why store up choice food and olive oil, but foods, fools, gulp theirs down. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to take it all. Go to the ant, you slugger. And God's saying, hey, you smart people with PhDs, I got some little insects that want to teach you something. Go to the ant, you slugger, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. What is saving? It's the practice of intentionally setting aside a portion of what we earn today for the tomorrows of life. Okay? It's not hoarding. Hoarding is not a good thing like the guy in Luke 12. Hoarding is where we, we save up so much stuff that we can never spend it all and our kids don't even need it, right? But we have all this stuff just sitting there. That's not God's intent for us. Okay? Uh, what things should we save for? Here are five categories that really smart people say you and I uh, should save for. We should have rainy day savings of about one to $2,000, right? You need new tires, the dishwasher broke down. You should have emergency savings, about three months of your basic living expenses. You should have replacement savings, right, for large expected purchases, a car, or, you know, you know your roof's going to need to be um, um, uh, reshingled in the coming years. Long-term savings, you know, retirement and then savings for gift, college, vacations, right? And here's the deal is that, you know, if you and I haven't saved well for Christmas vacations, what do we usually do? Okay, I'm going to take out a loan with my credit card to pay for those things. Where should we save? You know, I listed these in your program, right? You can see them all there. There's so many different ways. And again, you know, there's people smarter than me. That's why we're forming a financial team. Why should we save? To care and to share. Right? To care for ourselves and others and have money that we can share. When should we start saving? Like now. Like, like, like even if it's $10 out of your paycheck, right? That's something. Just develop the habit, right? It just takes something to begin the habit of, of saving. Brothers and sisters, money matters. Attitude plus principles plus practices equals freed up financially. And three practices that you must take, three actions you must take to make sure these practices are in there is debt-free living, planned spending, and intentional savings. Pretty practical stuff. I, I want to read a passage and make a comment as we close. Uh, this week in one of our devotions, and faith comes from hearing, we read Genesis chapter 12, and as I read it, I thought, wow, this kind of applies. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the families of earth will be blessed through you. See, in this series, 
I, I, I believe that God is calling us to leave our old way of thinking about money, to leave the world's way of thinking about money, of seeing money, of handling money, of giving money, of sharing money, and to go to a new land, to, to embrace his way, and a way that's empowered by a new attitude and a way that's built on a, a solid foundation and a way that's implemented through four practices. And the results, this is crazy. If we do this, if you do this, if we do this, the results in our families, in our marriages, and the good things that we can do for the needing and hurting people around this world will absolutely blow our minds. If we get this right, God will be able, like Abraham, to bless the nations through us. If we'll leave our old way of thinking, of saving, of giving, of whatever about money, and embrace God's new way built on his built on his principles implemented through these practices embracing this new attitude man man oh man oh man oh man this really is practical but also pretty exciting stuff would you pray with me God we love you and God thank you for your word and its truth God thank you for the possibilities thank you God that you've shown us in your word, God, how we can live and how you don't want us to be in bondage to debt, Lord, how we can leverage our resources to help other people. And God, as I think of all the things that the people in this room, God, that we can do in this world, God, the people we can bless, the lives we can change with the resources you have given us, and Lord, the more we'll get and the more we'll have available, Lord, is just incredible. And so, God, just thank you for this time that we can be in this place. And, God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for paying the ultimate cost that we could be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.